welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Mark chapter 15, verse 42, through Mark chapter 16, verse 20. Is Mark chapter 16 part of the original text, or was it added in later? What is the resurrection life of Yeshua Messiah all about? How does it change us when we allow the resurrection life of Yeshua Messiah to live in our hearts and work in our lives? What's Eliyahu ben David's testimony about that resurrection life? And how can the answer to these questions affect us today as the remnant of Israel? Stay tuned through to the end of today's program for Eliyahu ben David's insight on these questions and more in Mark chapter 15, verse 42, through Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And now, here's today's scripture portion. Mark chapter 15, verse 42 through chapter 16, verse 20. When evening had now come, because it was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who also himself was looking for the kingdom of Elohim, came. He boldly went in to Pilate and asked for Yeshua's body. Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead long. When he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. He bought a linen cloth, and taking him down, wound him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been cut out of a rock. He rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Yossi, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jacob and Shalom bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? For it was very big. Looking up, they saw that the stone was rolled back. Entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were amazed. He said to them, Don't be amazed. You seek Yeshua, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter, he goes before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had come on them. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he had risen early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. When they heard that he was alive, and had been seen by her, they disbelieved. After these things, he was revealed in another form, to two of them as they walked on their way into the country. They went away and told it to the rest. They didn't believe them either. Afterward, he was revealed to the eleven themselves as they sat at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, 
because they didn't believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. He who believes and is immersed will be saved, but he who disbelieves will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new languages. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will in no way harm them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then Adonai, after he had spoken to them, was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of Elohim. They went out and preached everywhere, Adonai working with them and confirming the word by the signs that followed. Amen. And now, here's Eliyahu ben David. We are finally doing the very last portion of the book of Mark, the exciting conclusion to this fast-moving epic. And our theme will be the empty tomb and what it means for us. And there really is a lot to it. And, of course, the main thing is that the tomb was indeed empty because Yeshua had been raised. And as we'll find out in the book of Acts, after a period of time, communicating more to his disciples, he ascended into heaven to the right hand of his father, where he has been ministering to his people ever since then. You know, many years ago, when I was called into the ministry, I called out to him, to the Son of God, to speak for me in heaven. And I was actually given a vision of him actually doing that in heaven. And you know, he does that for us. And that couldn't be happening if he wasn't raised from the dead. And that's so important to us. This part of the story is so important to us that not just that he died for our sins, but that he was raised from the dead and he is alive doing an amazing ministry for us. It's just so wonderful to know that he is there to speak for us when we need him and to help us in so many ways. Well, I want to share some more about that. But before I do, I want to bring up some comments about the ending of the book of Mark. Because, you know, we are dealing with this material now in the various Gospels. And as we go through, we want to talk especially about the things that are unique to each Gospel. And in this particular case, the ending of the book of Mark is something that you need to know about, to at least have some information about and for me to explain this to you, I want to talk to you about the whole New Covenant Scriptures, or commonly the New Testament. There are over 5,000, closer to 6,000, ancient manuscripts of all or part of the New Testament Scriptures. Now let that sink in a minute. These are all different copies of the New Testament scriptures. There's more manuscript evidence for your New Testament than there is for any other ancient work. Nothing is attested to more than 
your New Testament. And I think that's really a testimony to how much our Father in Heaven wanted to ensure that no matter what the enemy did out there, we were going to be able to have this message. Now, when you understand that there's so many Greek manuscripts, you know, sometimes skeptics will say, well, if there's so many manuscripts, aren't there differences in some of the manuscripts? And it reminds me of Satan in the garden with his little question, you know. Well, of course, there are differences, some differences. Why would that be? Well, let's all sit down and write a copy of the New Testament and then compare what it looks like. Do you think every one is going to be perfectly the same as every other one? You see, this was not the modern era. All of these manuscripts had to be copied by hand. And although they were very carefully copied, you know, some mistakes did come in to some manuscripts, but none of them have all the mistakes. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's just like if everybody that's listening right now was to take their New Testament scriptures and copy them, and we compared them, what we would find is that one person, you know, dropped a word here and another person put an extra letter on here and so on, just as mistakes. And by bringing all of these together and comparing them, it's very easy to say, oh, well, this one's missing a word, right? Because all the other ones have the word. And, oh, this one has an extra letter. It's not hard, really, to figure out what the mistakes are because you've got so many New Testament manuscripts. So, yes, even though there are some variations between the manuscripts, it really is not a problem. And besides, variations are extremely rare in the scriptures, and they really don't have anything to do with doctrinal issues. Westcott and Hort, famous for being scholars of the Greek text, in fact, they produced a Greek text. And this is what they said. Discussions on textual criticism almost inevitably obscure the simple fact that variations are but secondary incidents of a fundamentally single and identical text. The great bulk of the words of the New Testament stand out above all descriptive processes of criticism because they are free from variation and need only to be transcribed. So, the main message in all of the manuscripts is the same, but there's some little errors here and there that are essentially copyist errors. And when we compare the entire thing, it becomes apparent. So when we understand how that works and how by comparing the various manuscripts, it's possible to arrive at one flawless original of the whole thing, we can understand how the New Testament came down to us. Sir Frederick Kenyon, who was the director of the British Museum, and certainly a scholar regarding all of these manuscripts, said this, both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finely established. So this is what he is pointing out, that with all of these manuscripts, they're able to eliminate the copyist variations and come up with one flawless New Testament. And that's essentially why every New Testament you read has the same message even if it's translated into your native language, a little bit different than a different New Testament. Now, understanding all of that, the reason I brought that up is because someday you might run into a skeptic who is going to try to undermine the scriptures. And what they're going to say is, well, don't you know that the end of the book of Mark 
was not in the original Bible and that it's not really part of the Bible and Mark didn't write it. And you might be shocked to hear that from somebody. So I'm going to explain this to you, the mystery of the lost ending of the Gospel of Mark, and then you will understand what actually happened and really why those skeptics are so wrong. Basically, what we're talking about is Mark 16, 9 through 20. Some manuscripts include Mark 16, 9 through 20, which I'm calling the ending of the book of Mark. Some other manuscripts actually omit this ending and end abruptly with verse 8, which clearly is not the end of the story. So what happened? Well, some of these manuscripts don't have this ending. Greek unseals, the Sinaiticus, and the Vaticanus, all from the 4th century, don't have this ending. And these particular scrolls are among some of the most prominent that are relied upon by some Bible scholars. On the other hand, the ending, Mark 16, 9 through 20, the entire thing is present in the vast majority of manuscripts. In fact, 99% of the Greek manuscripts include it. So 99 out of 100 of the Greek manuscripts include it. And we have some other evidence. For example, Irenaeus from the 2nd century. Now that's really close to the writing of the New Testament. Wrote in both Greek and Latin in his work Against Heresies. And quoting him, also towards the conclusion of his gospel, Mark says, So then, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God. Now that's Mark 16, 19. So obviously, in the version of Mark he had, it was there. And not only that, but no less than seven second and third century witnesses attest to the ending of Mark, very much like what happened with Irenaeus, quote part of it or mention it. So tell us that they had that ending. So this is a lot of evidence that it had been there. And so we wonder if it had been there, but then later in the fourth century, it's missing from some manuscripts. What happened? How did that happen? Well, what scholars say about this is that most likely the last leaf of an early manuscript was lost. And that was a manuscript that copies were made from later on. And of course, any manuscript you had, you're going to make copies of it. So... If you have a manuscript where the last page is lost, you're still going to make copies of it. And it's what you've got. So what do you end up with? Well, you end up with a few manuscripts that don't have the last page. Could that happen in a time when everything was hand copied? And everything was in scrolls, by the way. It wasn't in books. They're all loose pages. So who knows? Maybe... Uh, one of the disciples spilled their coffee on the last page or something of one of these manuscripts. But something like that happened. And that's why we ended up with a few manuscripts that don't have what is essentially the last page of the book of Mark. However, 99% of the existing manuscripts do have the ending. So what do you do? Do you take the 1% and say, well, since it's not in this, it's got to be wrong in the 99%? Or do you look at it and say, you know what? Something went wrong with these small number of manuscripts, and we're including these verses 
in our modern New Testament because they're there in the vast majority of manuscripts. So that's really the story regarding the authentic ending of the Gospel of Mark. And when you understand those facts, then you can kind of see where skeptics grab on to certain things, and yet when you dig deeper and look at them, the scriptures always hold up. They always hold up. So I just wanted to share that because it, this is unique to the book of Mark. As far as I know, it's unique in the scriptures. I don't think there's any other places where this happens that I know of in the New Testament. Just the book of Mark. And you know, the book of Mark was very early. So the fact that there might have been uh, very early a copy where the last page was lost is something that's very likely could have happened. Well, now I'd just like to talk about the resurrection of Yeshua Messiah. I believe it really strikes all of his people with great humility when we consider the death and resurrection of Yeshua Messiah. And I think we all agree that this is something we really need. We would be lost without it or else it wouldn't have happened. And as we contemplate it, it is such an amazing thing because, you know, we have followed through this whole account of the things Yeshua did when he was here on the earth and how he willingly gave himself up to these events for our sake and to do the will of his Father. And essentially, he said, do your worst. The facts that we have are that they did their worst. And it was horrible. And I think, you know, this accounts for the difference between us reading the story and the disciples who were actually there. For us, you know, we can read it on the page. For them, they were in the grip of all of this happening. And it tells us how the women were standing at a distance watching Yeshua on the cross, watching him die. And I don't think we know fully what happened with the other disciples, what they saw or what they didn't see. But we do know Peter had been in the courtyard of the trial, and even that was so scary that he couldn't own up to being a disciple. So going through those events, their spirits were really crushed by these events of what had happened to their Messiah. They felt crushed by it. I think that's an important part of the story, you know, because this was not a movie. You can go to see movies all day long that have the good guy dying at the end and then coming back from the dead. But that's a movie. This was real. This was a real thing. And think about what happened. Because the enemy had done his worst, and then Yeshua rose from the dead, glorified. That is a total repudiation of the enemy, total and complete triumph and victory over the enemy, total and complete triumph and victory over sin and death. You really can't magnify how big a thing this is. This is the biggest thing that ever happened in the history of the world, and it changed absolutely everything changed absolutely everything. Because of the resurrection, it's possible for us to have a personal meeting with the Messiah of Israel. We ourselves can know him. He promises, in fact, if we love him and keep his commandments, he and the Father will come and make their home with us. And he promises to come and actually live inside of us. We receive him. 
our Lord and Savior, and his spirit indwells our spirit in our heart. Is that not amazing? So Paul declared, I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. What is he talking about? He is talking about the spirit of Messiah living inside of him, working through him. There's nothing that you can ever face where you cannot be victorious by the life of Yeshua Messiah living inside of you. That's really an incredible thing. You know, the victory that he had over the enemy, over all wickedness and sin in the resurrection, living inside of you, he can give you that victory. And you can fully share in that victory with him. That's what the resurrection is all about for us. This is not about a religion. This is not about something you do once a week where you go to church or something. This is about being changed, becoming a new creature, and having Yeshua Messiah actually living inside of you and living out his life in your own body. That's what it's about. That's what the disciples found out as they went out there to start spreading the good news. That was the big thing they learned, that he was right there living inside of them. And he's right there living inside of us, living through us, and accomplishing the Father's purpose. And for us to accomplish the things that he has for us to do in these last days, we must surrender to Yeshua Messiah to let him do these works through us to accomplish the Father's plan. It's not a matter of us being smart and coming up with a good idea. (laughs) You know, he might work through that. He might bring some good ideas to your head. But it's a matter of faith. Trusting in him, being a fellow worker with Yeshua Messiah, who is alive, who is on the throne, and is in your heart, and is working through his body to accomplish his will in the earth. This is such an exciting thing. Well, his life within you, his resurrection life, is so powerful that it can do things or he can do things in you that you might not even be able to believe right now. But as you allow him to flow through your life, what happens is you keep growing in that. And you know what? You could end up doing some of the things you read about in the scriptures that happened with the apostles. That might happen with you. You know, some of the apostles actually raised people from the dead by the power of Yeshua Messiah, they performed all kinds of things. And they were able to meet so many trials. You know, uh, Paul lists all the trials that he went through. And this would have killed an ordinary person. But it did not kill him. Why? Because Yeshua Messiah was living in him and living out the will of the Father through Paul, and was doing that through all of the disciples that would surrender themselves to him. You know, that's the big thing. That's what faith really is. It's not easy either. You know, it's the big struggle that we all have. Somehow, it just feels more secure to a lot of us to hang on to our own life, to control things. You know, and some people even take it another step. And not only are they trying to control their own life, they're trying to control other people's lives, too. And really, we can't do that. We can't do that and have the life of Yeshua Messiah flowing through us. We have to give up our life to allow his life to flow. And this is something we must learn through doing it. 
And to learn this, you have to step outside your comfort zone. If you just stay within your comfort zone, you're not giving him a chance to show you what he can do. And this is something we can do in every area of our life. Do the things that you're shy about doing. Step out and do it. Oh, I know what you're thinking. Oh, I might look like a fool. Is that really such a big deal? What did Yeshua look like on the cross with everybody mocking him? Really, if he would do that for you, why are you so worried about what other people think of you? Get over yourself. Give yourself a chance to grow, to let Yeshua Messiah live through you. Step out beyond your comfort zone and give that resurrection life a chance to flow through you. Find out who you really can be in his plan. You'll be excited when you experience that. Well, in 2016, I had an experience of the resurrection life of Yeshua Messiah in kind of a special way for me. And I thought really the best way that I could talk to you about that would be to share this. Now, what happened with me is, I'm pretty sure it was the first Sabbath in March. It was the next day. So, you know, I did the Sabbath in the evening like I always do. And during the daytime, which was still the Sabbath, I had a heart attack. And I was back with this message for the very next Sabbath. And I had something extraordinary happen to me that I really learned from. Now, I don't know if my explanation about this is going to get through to you in the way of what I experienced or not. But it's really the best way that I can talk about his life and how extraordinary it is and the power that is in it. So I'm going to take this message that I shared really one week after I had this heart attack, exactly seven days later. That's this message I'm going to share. I'm going to play that now. So who was this Jonah? Jonah was a prophet of the one and only true God. And Jonah received an assignment that he didn't like. And so Jonah decided to go in the opposite direction from the direction he was sent, as far away as he could get from doing his mission. And out in the midst of the ocean, aboard a ship, Yahweh found him there, sent a storm that all but capsized the ship so that everybody on board had their life at stake. In the end of it, it was revealed that this was because of Jonah. So the reluctant prophet was thrown over the bow of the ship into the frothy, stormy seas. Down, down, down he went into the depths of the ocean. As he looked up towards the surface and could see the light fading and fading, seaweed wrapped around his feet. His breath was taken away from him and his life was sure to be gone. At that moment, Jonah was inhaled by a huge fish. In the belly of the fish, Jonah was as good as in the grave. Three days, Jonah was in the pit. Three days, Jonah threw himself upon the mercy of his creator. There's no return for a person that has this happened to them. And yet, as we see in our picture, the three days ended with Jonah still alive, vomited up onto the seashore. Jonah had a spirit in him, a reluctant spirit 
that was very different than Yeshua Messiah, who always chose to do his Father's will. But the Scriptures use people, weak people, normal people, to illustrate for us truths about our Creator. And so we find in the Scripture pictures about different people that point to Messiah. And they're not perfect people, but there's things about them that point to Messiah. And I think we know about Jonah, three days in the pit, and then he was raised up. Yeshua Messiah referred to this as the sign of Jonah. It is the sign of the power of the resurrection life of Yeshua Messiah. They killed him on the tree. And he was dead. And they buried him in the heart of the earth. And in three days, his body, now in a glorified state, was raised up by the power of the Almighty. This was the picture of Jonah, and it was a sign to that wicked generation that judgment was soon to fall upon them. The prophet Jonah is also a picture of the remnant in the last days, the remnant of Israel. Unfortunately, the remnant at the beginning of the story were a lot like Jonah, reluctant to do the Father's will, choosing the opposite direction instead of the direction of obedience. And so they were scattered throughout the earth, effectively cast into the great deep, and they sunk deeper, deeper, deeper into this world and into the passing years, the passing centuries, and the passing millennia. Until, like Jonah, invisible in the belly of the fish, deep beneath the waves, the remnant of Israel have disappeared from the sight of all mankind. But Yahweh has been doing business with the remnant of Israel here in these last days. Just as he did business with Jonah. And more and more, we have been coming to repentance. More and more, we are having our eyes opened and we're seeing that we are indeed in exile in a foreign land. That we are as good as in the pit. And in the right moment, indeed on the third day, we are being raised up again, just as what happened to Jonah. Jonah is a picture of resurrection life. It's only the resurrection life of Yeshua Messiah that could raise up the remnant out of the pit in these last days. Recently, I had my own experience similar to what Jonah experienced. And it was not because I was choosing to go in the opposite direction from him, but it was for the Father's will, whatever it may be. And I accepted it as such. Now, it was a very interesting experience that I had and I'm going to share it with you. Before I do, I want to just play a sound clip for you. Now, many of you might know in 2011, after we had a fire here at Zion, Yahweh sent a prophet to speak to me, to tell me what his will was for me, his purpose was for me. And the clip I'm going to play you is just a section of it that tells me about my future. Let me share it with you. I am bringing my children back to my land where all authority is given. No one earns this unless they earn this through my will. Your authority is to lead them back 
and you will. That is a promise. And I received it as a promise. I received it as the word of Yahweh that it was his will for me to lead the remnant back home to Israel. And there's an affirmative there. You will. And I believe I will. I've been working towards that goal. That's why I'm talking to you right now. That's why I always talk to you, right? And yet, I just had my third heart attack. You know, we have a presidential election going on, a presidential process. And the voters right now, if they were thinking who they were going to elect, if they had somebody on there that has had three heart attacks, I think they would cross that person off and say, well, that person is not the guy. And that is how human beings think. Yahweh thinks entirely differently in how he does things. He told Abraham that he was going to make his seed like the stars of heaven. And then he made his wife barren so she couldn't even have one child. Time and again, what we see Yahweh do is make it impossible for what he promises to happen. Have you noticed that? So he made me this promise, and then since he's done that, I've had two heart attacks. This last one that I had was on last Shabbat. Yes, we haven't skipped a beat, have we? So next Shabbat, we're having our Shabbat meeting. Everything's the same. It could have been different. It could have been very different if things had gone according to what my body was telling me. If you remember last Shabbat, I talked to you about resurrection life. When you have Yeshua Messiah living inside of you, you have a life within you that is far beyond the natural life. And it is a guarantee to you that just as Yeshua Messiah was raised from the dead, on that day when he returns, you will be raised from the dead with him. And even in this very life, when you meet up to those problems that are too hard and too great for the strength within your body, his resurrection life kicks in and makes you more than what you otherwise could be. Last Shabbat, about four o'clock in the afternoon, I was having strange feelings in my chest. Now, this was my third heart attack, and yet this felt very different from the other two. Momentarily, I was in crisis. Fortunately, Dawn recognized what was happening, and she called 911. She has some knowledge about hospitals and medical things, and she was able to give them very good information. They had an EMT there very soon. I was going in and out of consciousness, and um, we were off and running. My natural life was caving in. It's interesting because I could feel within myself the two kinds of life that I have. I could feel my natural life. My blood pressure had sunk to about 40 beats, just barely keeping me alive. And the sensation I had reminded me of Jonah. You know, Jonah said, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth barred me in. Yet have you brought up my life from the pit, Yahweh, my Elohim. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered Yahweh. My prayer came into you, into your holy temple. It's a lot like that, what I experienced. My soul fainted within me. My natural life. It kind of was collapsing in upon itself. This is what it feels like. And falling down. Falling down, down into a pit. And yet, 
the resurrection life was not touched. It was the same. I was fully cognizant of what was going on, fully in touch with Yeshua Messiah. And, of course, I didn't want to die, but I was not afraid of death. Neither did I say to Yahweh, Yahweh, you made this promise to me, so you have to keep that promise, you have to keep me alive. That's not my way of doing things. It's not for me to figure out how Yahweh is going to accomplish that promise. It's for me to say to him, I feel my life leaving my body. My body is saying to me, this is the end, I'm going to die. And Father, I want to be alive, I want to be able to go on, but however you choose, I'm going to accept it because that's your will. That was my prayer. In fact, I said, into your hands I commit my life. All of this was going on in the helicopter on the way to the hospital. They had a crack team of heart people in there that got a hold of me and started doing all kinds of weird things to my body. And they were a great team. And I praise Yahweh that in every step of the chain of this event, starting with dawn, going through the EMTs, the flight, everything that happened in the hospital, every single decision that was made about me was the right decision. My heart was all but stopped, so much so, in fact, that the blood began to coagulate in my veins, was hardening inside my veins. And they infused various things into my body. I don't even know all of what they were. And they fought for my life for about three hours. And one of the things they did was so interesting. They infused this cold fluid into my body. It was to protect my brain from having brain damage. The effect was to feel very much like sinking down into the cold ocean. They did what they needed to do with me. They got me stabilized. They put me where I needed to be in the hospital. And my recovery began. Like Jonah was in the fish for three days, I was in the hospital for three days. And my life returned to me very quickly, as you can see. Here's what I know about this. My body was saying, you're going to die. Now, that wasn't just fear. That was the fact that my life force was wanting to leave my body. But the resurrection life that lives inside of me through Yeshua Messiah was such as to preserve me alive through these events. It was interesting. I think it was the next day. I called home, talked to the folks at home. Of course, they had been praying for me. Many of you had been praying for me. I thank you so much. Your prayers really helped to buoy me up through this time. And they reminded me that they had listened to the Midrash that next morning. And it's, as you know, we have a schedule, right, every week for the Midrash. The title of this one, Victory Over Death. And so they sat there listening to the Midrash with all of this encouragement coming to them from the scriptures, building them up, consoling them, helping them at this moment, while I myself had been coming through this event. Now, if you talk to any of them, they would tell you, in one way, this is not unusual, because a lot of times... What's going on in the Midrash is going on here. We see it happening over and over again. But you know, this is just another evidence of how Yahweh has his hand 
over his remnant. Now, I'm saying this to you because, like I told you last Shabbat, if you have Yeshua Messiah living in you, you have resurrection life. You may have things wrong with your body, okay? You may have health problems, but whatever the case is in your life, you have resurrection life, resurrection power. And when the natural life of your mind and your body fails you, that resurrection life is there. And I want you to believe that. Because if you believe that, you can step out in faith and do mighty things that you need to do, that the remnant needs to do here in these last days. Resurrection life. So we look at Jonah, a picture of resurrection life, deep in the pit, in the belly of the fish, far under the surface of the depths, doing business with Yahweh in his holy temple. He says, you brought up my life from the pit. He says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that which I have vowed. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. This is the truth of the word of God, and it is also my testimony to you on this Shabbat. This is our Yahweh. This is our Yeshua salvation. He is our salvation. And let me tell you something. Whatever that scumbag Hasatan wants to throw at us, he's bigger than what that is. And we will complete the work that he has given us to do. We will go home in the second exodus. We will be his glory in the earth. And we will see Yeshua Messiah coming on the clouds of heaven. I just felt that this was an appropriate time to share that message again. We have a lot of people with us now who weren't there then when those events happened. And, you know, for me, this is the best way to talk about how real all this really is. You know, this is reality. <laughs> this is reality. You know, you've got to come to this place where you believe that you're safe with Yahweh. He controls life and death. When you can come to that place where you're comfortable with the fact that he controls life and death, then you can face whatever comes in your life without fear. And the truth is, you can trust him. Look at how Yeshua Messiah trusted him. You can trust him because he's good, because he loves you, and he knows everything, and he takes everything into consideration. Now, a couple of things I would like to say about that video, because time has gone by, and there's a perspective now that I have because of the passage of time that kind of goes beyond what's in the video. One of the things that I learned a little bit later after I did the video, the doctor who was in charge of the team who worked on me, he said that he did not have the skill to do what was needed to save my life. And he said he didn't really know how he did it. I know how he did it. Resurrection life. That's how it happened. Another thing that was very curious about that year. Now, March is very early. It was really right at the end of the Schmidt year. And then we went into the new year. So it was in 2016, in the new year, we started having a lot of people we know having serious health issues. A number of people we do just died. They just died. Some other people that we knew had serious issues, and yet 
survived. But it seemed to be a big year of these things happening. And of course, they hadn't happened yet when I had this event. And a lot of those folks, or some of those folks, were people who had been associated with our ministry. And in retrospect, I'm thinking about this, that this message about resurrection life, perhaps this was meant to be a preparation for some of our folks who would be facing these serious issues in 2016, because we haven't had another year like that with so many people who were struck. And this is not in any way a comment on any of those people, because like I say, life and death is in the hands of the Father, and good people die every day, just like evil people do. So none of this is a comment on any of those people who died, just saying that perhaps Yahweh was giving this message to help prepare people for whatever it was that was going to be coming for them. You know, he is good, and he does love us so much, even sending his own son to die for us and to live so that we could live by his resurrection life in us. listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Further teachings and study materials on ministry service, the good news, the original calendar of the Bible, the Sabbath Eliyahu and Zion ministry keeps, the timing of Messiah's death and resurrection according to the biblical calendar, the resurrection, the resurrection life of Messiah, getting close to Messiah, walking with Messiah, Zion Academy, Jonah, the twelve disciples before and after Messiah's resurrection, the remnant of Israel, the seven prophetic words given to Eliyahu and David, their story and their meaning, along with how they could affect you, and God's end-time action plan for His people in this generation, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to Zion.net. That's T S I Y O N dot N E T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom. The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion ministry to teach His remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in His perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click on Remnant Vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G.